A warm welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. But in this episode, they don't. Clint Weaver from Pocket Beagles is talking through the six beer designs that changed everything. This is such a fascinating episode. We cover so much about can design, about the legalities of can design, ABAC, all these things that, as we record, are very relevant because, and this is probably going to be a trend, that more and more breweries fall foul of the rules or get complaints against their can design and so on. So this is really essential listening, not just for brewers, but for consumers because it's such a fascinating space and also the joy of can art and bottles. Clint is so knowledgeable about this and he is one of the people in recent time who has really been a change maker on the scene in terms of the brands he's worked with and the recognition that he's created within those brands as well. Stick around to the very end of this episode because I've got a couple of extra little treats with a significant move for Westard Works, and I'm speaking with Casey there, just a little quick update and also the launch of Burnley's collaboration with Mountain Gin, brand new botanical Berlin of Ice. Sometimes I wonder why I give this away for free. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. We're sat here on Smith Street in Melbourne's north, outside of a bar called Beer Mash. And with me is Clint Weaver from Pocket Beagles. Hi, Clint. Hello. Now, Clint, explain where you fit into the beer scene, because you play a very integral part, I feel, and a very important part, possibly sometimes underrated. So... (laughs) Tell us about yourself and how you fit into the beer scene in Melbourne and beyond. Yeah, underrated is probably a pretty important word. Not talking about myself uh, (laughs) (laughs) exclusively, um, but I think in terms of the design stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm a designer for um, for craft beer, uh, basically. Um, Mainly packaging stuff, but it extends to full branding and um, any sort of promotion to do with alcohol, essentially. and uh, yeah, been doing it for a couple of years now. Managed to luck onto a, a few cool brands to work with, and uh, living the dream at the moment, as they say. I almost feel like they've looked out with you as well, because it's <laughs> definitely a, a reciprocal agreement, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah, I tell them that frequently, just to make sure <laughs> they know. Like, just try and plant it in their mind that they're lucky to have me. So, just a little bit to kind of set the scene of the people you've worked with. You've worked with. The Hack and the Hack Brewing Company. Froth Beer Magazine is a massive part of your work. Uh, co-conspirators, um, Brewmanity, Sunmoth Canteen and Bar, Penny Young, Beer Mash, Don't Tell Charles, Exit Brewing, Kaiju, don't want to miss anyone else, Himmelons <laughs> and the Good Beer Co, Brisbane Winery Tours, A&Z and Kmart and Vodafone, but who cares about the last three? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll just stick to the sensible brands. Um, we are, are actually not talking through your six beers that changed everything today, but the six beer designs that changed everything, for good or for bad. Yeah. Take us back to teenage Clint. As, uh, were you always drawing or designing or when did this idea because not everybody a lot of people enjoy art and graphic design and and different things but 
a lot of people are discouraged from this because you think, well, you won't make any money out of it or, you know, do a, do a sensible job. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it is a tricky thing to try and find success in, uh, but I, that was never really my intention, um, speaking about teenage me. Uh, I have always drawn, like, from primary school onwards, um, and it's always been sort of cartoony, comic-y, caricature sort of stuff that I enjoyed doing. Um, never <coughs> really considered it as a career until um, I don't know, the past five or six years, I guess. Um, at the end of high school, when I, when I graduated and um, went to uni, I was tossing up either between doing an art degree or uh, <laughs> wanting to be a soccer coach professionally. Uh, and so I ended up choosing the latter uh, and studying a sports management and sports science degree. Um, so you were kind of determined to do a subject you couldn't make money in. So. Yeah, I think that was that was yeah probably the decision. I don't know whether my parents came into it or, or whatnot. Probably not. Um, they're uh, you know supportive of whatever stupid thing I decide to do. But yeah, went to uni, studied sports management. It was boring as all hell, um, but did a marketing unit uh, within that, and then. Uh, switched to a marketing degree, marketing and advertising, and I think there I started to like get the itch for um, being able to creatively, you know, pursue things in particular branding, and the idea of making a career from it. Um, I had in like, I guess beer wasn't too much in my head at that point in time in terms of the career thing. I was definitely like drinking beer and into beer at that point, um, but the. Yeah, the merging of the two didn't come until uh, much, much later. In terms of specifically designing for beer labels, is it how important is it if I'm starting off a brewery or I'm thinking of starting up, you know, even on a small scale, even if I'm not wholesale, like what what's the importance of having a, a decal or a, a coherent brand? I'm saying this because you've you would have seen great success stories and some of which are yours, yep. but also some failures as well. And <clears throat> you must be more alive to it than the average punter in terms of when you walk into a bar and you see a, a decal or you yeah. see a, a brand which you think, ooh. Uh, I think it's actually uh, somewhat what inspired me when I did go back to design school. Uh, and at that point, definitely being uh, in love with craft beer, um, just seeing the amount of aesthetically unpleasing situations around when you have a delicious beer and then it just doesn't quite back it up with the stuff and you just feel uh, bad that more people aren't going to experience it because of that barrier of visual communication and so uh, yeah I think that just made me want to desire to create you know stuff for myself I guess um, for other people to show that it can be done I guess and just help those people who are you know making beer that deserve to be drunk by a lot more people it must be good in one sense to have a limitation of a bottle or a can or a decal space uh, as it is, because that gives you a framework as a designer. Yeah. But it, at what point are you thinking beyond those limitations or do you really appreciate the limitations? And in terms of also, you've got to consider things like legalities in terms mm. of you know using things that appeal to children or you know different words that you use on the label how much of that is kind of in the forefront of your mind when you start off what's the process in terms of when somebody comes to you and says i need a, a beer label where do you start from 
Um, I think when I was in design school uh, and and before that, um, the focus was more along like art and creating things that pushed boundaries and and wanting to um, you know make things that actually affected people, um, hopefully positively. Um, but as I've been doing it for the past uh, three four years, um, the uh, the restraints have definitely come into place, and unfortunately, they do uh, subconsciously sort of affect the design from the beginning. Um, but so you know, a back obviously sort of pops up every now and again with with certain breweries that have issues with them. No, a back is kind of the governing body that says yes or no to or handles complaints around. Yep. Um, labels. Yeah, so they handle complaints and then um, basically to get your beer sold in, in particular uh, chain stores, you need approval from them before it even gets in the shop because um, if they have to go ahead and um, you know buy your beer, you put it on the shelf someone complains about it um, then there's a massive recall involved and, and you know lost money for all parties so pre-approval uh, through ABAC is a necessity and um, yeah, you mentioned the uh, advertising to minors thing. Um, my my forte and my background is definitely in illustration. And as I mentioned before, like you know, cartooning, comic stuff is what I grew up with and loved. Love reading, love looking at, and love drawing as well. And um, I feel as though it has like a, a massive place and appeal to you know people my age, younger and older as well. Um, this sort of you know poppy, fun stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, there's also <laughs> there's a lot of people that might consider that as um, as trying to do something other than target mature age drinkers, um, and that is minor. So you know, a few of the brands that I've worked with, we've had you know some sort of um, had to uh, rearrange some things or, or redo some things to sort of appease those parties. But um, yeah, in the past couple of years, I've learnt to understand a little bit more about what will. Uh, be good by them and also still work for the consumer and for my brands and for myself as well which i think <laughs> is the most important thing well, yeah the cartoon thing is is a really contentious one yep. and certainly we've seen um say kaiju who they changed their beer can the crush to include the word beer on the front in in quite large letters so that there's uh to kind of get past that issue uh because they were selling uh, in big chain stores really and you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of lobby groups, um, whether it be religious or just people who dislike alcohol in, in society, who are actively trying to see uh, offence or see um, misdemeanours from designers. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, there is an issue, isn't there, in terms of the promotion of alcohol and responsibility and, and those things? How, how do you feel about that and how does that affect your kind of day to day? Uh, I actually think it's, it's vitally important for um, groups like ABAC to exist because, you know, most of the time um, people in my shoes and, and brands are 100% not going out to, um, uh, you know, achieve things that they are, um, you know, chosen at uh, perhaps having tried to, um, advertising for minors, for example. Um Never my intention, you know, in 100 years when I go and draw a picture, right? I'm, I'm trying to uh, appeal to myself and appeal to the beer drinking public around me um, when I draw these things. But like everything, there's probably quite a few situations where people could be trying to 
bend the rules in their favour and, and do those things. Um, so if you do remove those groups, uh, then you open up a whole, uh, you know, whole big big old can of worms uh, for people to do the wrong thing and and you know, downfall of society is is shortly after, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. They have their place. So there's been lots of issues uh, or potential issues around trademark infringements and so on and brands and can designs and things trying to, uh, you know, get a fun kind of leverage off established <coughs> brands. Has that ever affected you or do you come from a standpoint of complete originality or <laughs> um, or shall we call a lawyer before we record this? <laughs> I think the, the, the things that I do um, when I have... A full say and are never going to be like that. Um, uh, you know, there's probably only been one situation where I've I've made something that was intentionally refer- referencing something else heavily. Um, and I guess in the past couple of years, um, I've paid. Uh, you know, I'm a very big observer of what's going on in the industry, and we've had a huge influx of people creating like candy or lolly or chocolate bar inspired beers and then you know there's been articles around that um the branding sort of parodying those things as well legally it's okay um you know if it is a parody as far as i'm uh, aware of the situation but the brands involved are um more than uh more than welcome and probably likely to kick up a fuss and send a letter and whatever else Uh, i think for the brands that i work with they're all you know small guys actually trying to make a a mark in the industry and like a long lasting thing rather than just a flash in the pan or whatever um and so uh thankfully i'm not asked to you know try and do that to sort of create a uh you know a bit of brand awareness for for a short short term sort of thing um i think perhaps it's done its dash like there's only only so many candy bars you can sort of riff off um before it's all done and then you get back to the serious business of creating original designs uh which is better for the brand long term I feel and you mentioned about the industry as a whole uh, um, what have you observed in the, in the last you know three or four years in terms of where it's going and, and you know where it's been huge changes thankfully uh, in terms of the, the design stuff um, and I think I like somewhat accidentally just came on in the exact right moment that these things were happening as well um, like I said when I was uh, in uni just noticed the large percentage of beers weren't representing themselves as well as they possibly could. Um, as well as like the Australian market, I, I pay attention to stuff going on overseas and, uh, you know, it's often cited where a little bit um, responsive to what's happening in terms of uh, beer flavours and beer trends in, in America and, and Europe. Um, but I also think design-wise we're well and truly behind even more. Um but uh, yeah, as I've started, um, there's been there's been quite a few other brands who have like popped up, um, you know, five, five six years ago, uh, which are now reaping the rewards for investing money in that idea of creating a, a brand and actually yeah having money to sort of put up for it as well and recognizing how much it's going to affect their business long term. Um, and now you know uh, the craft beer stuff has just exploded massively with breweries and 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 beers released um every week every day uh and walking into the bottle shop is like every week that i go is another experience and just like just the past week i looked around and i was like wow there's the amount of uh in your face labels that i was looking at was incredible 
and like five years ago it would have been nothing like that at all nothing that jumped off the shelf but now I guess the problem for me uh, and other designers and other brands is that everything's trying to jump off the shelf because they're more aware of it and so what do I do to try and get around that <laughs> yeah it kind of ebbs and flows in terms of complexity or simplicity or colors yeah and trends. But I think it also sort of links into um, what I was saying about <coughs> brands not trying to go with fads and, and whatever else and trying to focus on creating a strong recognizable brand uh, and so that rather than trying to jump off the shelf as a new unrecognizable thing uh, a customer's eyes are drawn to it because they recognize it from a pleasurable experience beforehand um, yeah which is definitely where I'm at with a couple of my brands which is awesome we're here to talk through your six designs that changed everything um, so let's get started what's your, what's your first first choice of a of a design that um, changed the way you thought about well maybe beer or maybe design uh, so very tricky uh, question to ask for a number of reasons number one I rarely pick like favourites in anything which sort of extends to this as well um, so people ask me what's my favourite movie I'm just like I don't know and it'll take me a week and then I'll be like oh actually I really like this movie this is 10 out of 10 but like, I never really have anything that's off the cuff my my you know my thing um, so when you asked me uh, to do this I was like I have nothing <laughs> to talk about uh, and really had to sort of dig through the memory banks which brings me to problem number two I've got a terribly amazing uh, sorry incredible uh, incredibly bad memory <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when I, you know, have a life-changing moment, I forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes Which, back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, I'm self-diagnosed uh, ADHD and I'm just sort of always looking for the next, you know, big thing to happen and just living in the moment, uh, if you will. Uh, and I sort of just let things slip by. Every now and again, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll pop up in my memory and I'll be like, oh, that's right, that was an amazing you know, uh, experience or, or movie or design or whatever else. Um, so, yeah, had a good think about it, uh, this particular thing. And um, I guess the, the ones that I've chosen are possibly a little bit vague as there's not like one moment where it happened for most of these, but I'll kick it off with the Little Creatures Pale Ale, number one. And I guess I'm going in a somewhat um, chronological order. Uh, so I am from WA, been in Melbourne for 10 years. Pale Ale obviously has a, uh, you know, a massive place in the craft beer history in Australia, but particularly uh, in WA as well. And I remember um, growing up with the high school friends and going through my two years extra dry, you know, uh, super dry phase VB, whatever, everyone's just drinking whatever they can sort of get their hands on. Um, and that only really uh, encapsulated my life for probably about a year uh, before I realised there was better things. Uh, and, yeah, the Little Creatures branding, um, you know, credit to them, it's something that's been going on since it launched um, with sort of minor changes um, since day one, but sticking to the uh, you know the the color scheme and the um, the visual sort of appeal and the logo and everything, and I think that's a credit to what an amazing like design it actually is. You know, a testament to um, not having to try and scream to get attention uh, and the power of the brand. Yeah, and those colors uh, are just like 
were vastly different to everything else that was sort of out at the time. Be- because part of you looks at that little creature's brand and thinks this should not be successful because it's uh, it's beige and pale yeah. and yeah. and it, you would think it wouldn't stand out and then you think it, it's the font and so on is a bit evocative of like an old brand um, yeah. but the the cherub holding the stein and the frothing beer and and then the tagline open oh up a little <laughs> oh, what a beer <laughs> did you see that? No. What did he, he had a little creature's oh. ale. <laughs> so, just to explain, we're, we're out on the street in Smith Street here. You can hear the trams going past, and one of the locals just walked past, and you heard him with a fantastic contribution. But he was walking down the street with a with a, and this is another design. Yeah. I'm glad he walked past actually yeah. because he had a pint bottle of little creatures, and no one else sells that format. Yeah like a pint bottle of and they sold pint bottles of bright ale and little creatures uh, pale fantastic and i think it's those those nuances which um stuck in my memory as well like uh, that you could go and, and uh buy the larger format bottles they were a novelty i guess at the time and good quality beer as well I actually didn't know that they still sold them until that guy walked past, oh, yeah. but I think that guy <laughs> might have been holding on to it from, from about 2011. So. Yeah, uh, possibly. Um, but I think, yeah, in terms of like nuances and, and the finer details, um, the Sherub's awesome. I sort of get like a, you know, a Belgium feel from it as well, just like, but super subtly, not, um, I guess, cliche, uh, trying to tap into that um, beer history. Uh, and then I think the best thing for me is their uh, tagline open up a little for me is like that's 10 out of 10 it is isn't it 10 and out it of 10. still so exists good. that that yeah. shows you the strength and endurance of that tagline i think the other consideration with this brand is the the gold which probably hints to that belgium kind yeah. of style the gold around the outside but also the contrast with the brown bottle yeah. I noticed that <coughs> Little Creatures have recently brought out the cans mm. and the design doesn't look near as effective yeah. as what it did in the bottle or as yeah. it does in the bottle format because of the contrast with the brown um, the brown glass and the way that reflects and shines. So it, it, that to me is a very interesting um, dilemma for a designer is, you know, if you're moving from bottles or to cans yeah. or if you're maintaining both as an output as Little Creatures... Uh, will how do you kind of bridge that gap between because a can design is very different for a designer i assume from a bottle design yeah um obviously a lot more space to play with um with the can and current trends you know everyone everyone wants a can likes to hold the can in their hand um i guess there's no like no escaping the brand uh, and the illustration when it's like that. Um, so with the bottle, at least you've got the reliance of the brownness, you know, of it in your hand to maybe relieve you uh, of some terrible design. <laughs> but with a can, like it's just nothing. That's it's all me that's on there, you know. And then uh, until you get to the insides. Um, but I, yeah, everyone, all of my clients have switched to cans uh, now, which is great because trying to squish things onto a bottle label is uh, is harder. Well, the other issue you have on a bottle is that you perhaps cre- um, creating three labels, the the back rectangular one, the front perhaps elliptical yeah. one, and then the one around the neck. And then you've got the issue of 
uh, in a can in a fridge, there's no gap. Whereas with bottles at the top, there's a gap in mm. terms of space. Yep. And so that creates its own issue as well in terms of you are essentially losing advertising space, if you like, yeah. or real estate in the fridge. Yep. Um, so, you know, from that, from that point of view, I suppose the, the nice thing about a bottle is that you do have more um, space to put in the legal requirements and, and labeling and put it in smaller fonts, etc. But let's move on. Little Creatures, a great, great start and great brand. I remember they went too far away in, in Fitzroy in the, the beer hall here when they had that. And certainly the branding throughout that building as well was really uh, creative yeah. and special and stood out at the time. Um, and it, yeah, it's, a, it's all gone to Geelong now. But, uh, you know, Geelong get everything, don't they? <laughs> uh, what is your second choice? Number two, sticking with WA. This is... Gage Roads. I sort of wanted to include them generally, uh, but I've included this one corker of a picture uh, that I'm showing you right now of the uh, the premium lager that they came out with. Um, it was a brand that was definitely around at the time, um, and I think obviously they're still you know they're still around now, so they know what they're doing. Um, I really love the the logo itself. Um, you know. King Trident or Poseidon or, or, uh, or whatever going there and it's just very um, very bold and very masculine obviously like makes you think of liquid straight away and then and then beer which is which is great um, the reason I included it in here though is so I can talk about myself uh, <laughs> after I graduated from um, uh, uni studying marketing and advertising uh, was applying for jobs and at this point I was definitely at the start of my uh, craft beer journey and I applied for a job at Gage Roads as a junior marketing assistant. Went in for an interview, and I'm like terrible at interviews. If you couldn't tell already, <laughs> uh, um, look, look, I'm not going to tell you at the end of this whether you've got the job or not. You've got the job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, but man, like one of these, uh, as terrible as my memory is, I remember this situation specifically: um, sitting in the office, getting interviewed uh, by these two people. And them just asking me, and I guess like, you know, as a young person straight out of, you know, uni, uh, I think it was probably the second brand interview that I'd, I'd gone to. And they just asked me these really sort of uh, off the cuff, hard, you know, questions to come up with ideas right on the spot. And, you know, perhaps that's standard now, but I, uh, at the time, didn't know what the hell I was doing or, or talking about. And I, I gave him this... <laughs> this fantastical like response in, in answer to their question and they sort of just like looked at me and, <laughs> and <laughs> nodded and I knew I knew that was the end of uh, the interview <laughs> um, so yes I'm glad they're still going uh, but it would be interesting uh, to see where I'd be at in my career if I had actually got the marketing job with them no, you've actually got a picture here of the premium lager, which I hope we could even put these up on the, the Instagram on the Chosen Brew yep. uh, so people can have a look at them. It shows you how much it moves on and, and the kind of the core of the design is still true. But Gage Roads have definitely moved into that real kind of color coordinated scheme uh, for the, each of their beers. And I'm thinking of their... Um, Indian Pale Ale, the orange label yep. where they have like scenes of almost colonial India with the elephants giant, and uh, yeah, the sleeping yeah, giants, yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. There is also the issues here with beers that other designers have fallen foul of uh, 
cultural appropriation yeah. uh, issues with insensitivity of, of things. Uh, I'm thinking of Garage Project with uh, beer, which was evocative of the napalm. Um, the DFA, the original. Yeah, the yeah, DFA, yeah. yeah. Um, those type of issues, how, how close are kind of designers... Are you? Uh, have you got your own union and your own solidarity in terms of you think <laughs> that could have happened to me? Do you, when something like that goes down, are mm. you kind of on the phone or messaging somebody to say, you know, I'm solid with you, or are you? <laughs> are you, you think you deserve that? I'm going to hang you out to dry. <laughs> um, what well, a mixture. <laughs> good question. It is. Yeah, I think um, you know. My, I still definitely uh, am a newbie. Um, to the industry, but I sort of, I've, I've, I guess I've met um, a few of the people who are in the same space as me, uh, and they're all great. And I feel as though if something happened along those lines, I would, I would be uh, standing with them. Um, but I guess you, this is like deviating completely um, and back to the cartooning nature. So I, I definitely like in my in my younger days was drawing strictly panel cartoons, right? And that was my passion. Um, and uh, the whole thing with uh, with Mark Knight and the Serena Williams cartooning stuff last year. Uh, yes, I'm yes, aware, but yes. please uh, expand. <coughs> okay, the- so I guess when you were asking the question, I just I just thought of this. Um, you know, he's a cartoonist. I guess I sort of consider myself uh, within the realm of being a cartoonist and illustrator. One hundred percent not standing with me with him. He's on his own with that sort of thing. It's like. Yeah, um, so this was a controversial... So Mark Knight's an illustrator. He works for News Corp and he published the cartoon of Serena Williams. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it was uh, depicted in a, in a racist fashion, Serena Williams, and then you know, it all blew up in the, in the uh, newspaper world and, and whatever else. And I guess um, it... I had a few conversations with, with people close to me about um, the work that I do uh, and potential ramifications, uh, you know, uh, around like uh, offending people that were not intended, right? So Mark Knight comes out and says, you know, it was never his intention. And um, at the time, I was actually working on a <coughs> um, particular beer label design, which was considering a particular uh, minority, I guess, and I was trying to depict it in a um, in a light that was inclusive um and then this stuff happened literally at the same time um it all blew up and i was like you know i uh completely yeah you know rejected mark knight's cartoon and apology and all that sort of stuff and whatever um he obviously is not considerate of the issue at large um, but it enabled me a chance to look at my own thing, and other people sort of questioned me around the uh, the, the work I was doing, and I, I sought it as well, feedback on, on what I was working on. Um, as I was drawing, I was like, yes, 100% passionate. This is what I want to do. I want to include this person on the label because uh, I feel as though you know they're underrepresented, and, and this is what I want to do. Uh, and I was uh, you know talking to people who were of the same thought pattern that I was in the same background and, and whatever else and this thing when it happened uh, made me realise that I actually needed to go outside of my current circle and ask those people who might be affected by it um, and I sought feedback on it and <clears throat> it was not um, uh, it was appreciated what I was doing um, but this person could also see how it could affect 
uh, or impact um, other people who weren't her as well. Uh, and so, you know, that was a situation where I believe I was doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing, uh, but had to renege because I considered other people's options. And obviously Mark Knight didn't, so... <laughs> well, I suppose that, you know, even going through that thought process of thinking, how does my work affect other people? Yeah. Is uh, you know a consideration, um, and these know, are all these are all lessons that I'm you know just uh, learning myself. I've learned a couple through froth as well, working with Emily uh, in regards to um, gender equality uh, and illustration of my covers and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, you know, one particular uh, moment we had like a Valentine's Day uh, issue, year and a half or, or so ago, and. Um, I depicted what I thought was <clears throat> quite a cute cartoon of, uh, you know, a guy and a girl and then like this Cupid thing and uh, the Cupid was shooting the beer and then the man was falling in love with the beer rather than the girl. And so that was my like, my cartoonist play on on that as a trope, right? The the Cupid shooting the, the girl or, or the guy and then the other person falling in love with it. Uh, and then I showed it to Emily and um, yeah, she uh, rejected it completely and, and was like, you know, said it's um, uh, supporting heteronormative, uh, you know, qualities and, and whatever else. And, and we're in a position where we have the flexibility to sort of do what we want, I guess. And that's our uh, power and what people find interesting about Froth, you know, in, in a lot of cases. Um, and I, upon that uh, feedback, you know, was, I felt uh, defensive and I was like, well, it was not my, you know, not my intent at all. Can't you see the joke behind it? It's the Cupid. He's hitting the beer and the guy's falling in love with the beer. That's funny, right? And, uh, yeah, then I sort of, again, sought, uh, sought counsel uh, with a few wise friends. Uh, and then one in particular sort of um, explained it to me in, in, in terms that have, have sort of um, stuck with me for a a little while now and I've tried to pass on to other people because I thought it was so damn cool uh, and he basically said uh, you know with <laughs> this is just riffing off Spider-Man's you know with great power and, and responsibility and, and all that sort of stuff he was like if you're in a situation uh, that you have um, a chance to affect people then it's in your like responsibility to do that positively and I'm butchering completely what he said but I realized at that point I was like man I'm so for want of a better word, blessed to be doing this, you know, illustrating these froth covers and working with froth and then all my other customers and clients as well. And um, I really shouldn't just be whacking out stupid jokes, right, on the cover. I have a chance to make a real change, as Emily's realised a long time ago, uh, with her contribution with the magazine. Um, so, yeah, that was a pretty heavy moment. Uh, and it's, it's stuck with me since then. Well, at you told that very eloquently and I think it's um, it's actually really nice to hear because on one level you're just drawing nice pretty cartoons <laughs> and, and, and selling lots of beer because of it yeah. but it's nice to hear the thought process behind it and the level of responsibility that you have it's because let you know if we look at Aust Australian brands beer brands as a whole extraordinarily masculine historically only marketed to men the last episode uh, we did with uh, Chloe from um, Burnley Brewing and what's very evident to me is my experience walking into a pub 
is very different from hers. Yep. Uh, listen to the episode, and I've spoken to her, you know, about that sort of stuff as well. And and I, I feel as I was as shocked as you were about the revelations, you know, that she was sort of saying on the thing, and the stuff I hear all the time. Fortunate enough to be working with a lot of cool females, such as Emily, and then the the girls from the co-conspirators as well. Um, just to hear perspectives that I wouldn't otherwise see, not for want of not wanting to see, but I'm just not, uh, yeah, exposed to it. Yeah, and I think we've got. You know, a long way to go. Uh, those things that you might do in froth or ever might seem controversial or uh, have kickback from uh, some men as well. To yeah. Say, oh, well, where's my, you know, where's the representation of me? But I think yeah. in the broad scheme of things, taking a step back, you know, we have to be uh, craft beer should be all about welcoming and inclusion and you know bringing people together and not yep. um, dividing them. Um, geez, there must have been an election recently. <laughs> look, at, look at that for a, a sign-off. Uh, we'll do choice three. Um, all right, number three. We're into modern world uh, Clint. So I guess when I um, uh, I went back to study at a later date, uh, a later age when I was 27, and um, I guess it was at this point where I started to think beer and art and design could all come together for me potentially um and so i started my my graphic design degree i knew i wanted to run my own business at the end of it uh and i think probably within like six months into the course uh i knew i wanted to work in beer uh and i sort of set myself the the goal of creating a, a beer label or you know decal or can or whatever else and so i was looking looking a lot more at beers and, and I guess looking at my style uh, that I was drawing with at the time. And then, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the the choice of the number three uh, is the McKellar. Uh, now, I've, I've got a specific um, label up on, on here, which is their uh, Better Half uh, beer. But I actually just wanted to include this as a general inclusion um, because I love McKellar uh, and I love the artist. And I think... Um, that's Keith Shaw, uh, the artist, and I think seeing his work uh, in, in various capacities um, at a time where I was uh, drawing things for Kmart and ANZ, you mentioned before, Show <laughs> trying off. to make some coin. <laughs> yeah. We've uh, all been myself. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, seeing that uh, in the beer fridges uh, at, uh, at Black Art and Sparrows opposite my studio at the time, um, I was like, okay, cool, like, I can do that. Uh, and then, you know, since then, I've just had a massive respect for the brand that uh, McKellar has managed to build. And it's obviously all owed to the artist, Keith Shaw, uh, and his strength. And, um, you know, I'm just like, I'm honestly amazed at how recognizable um, his artwork is. Um, so I was looking at, you know, quite a few cans in the lead up to uh this thing here and sort of thinking about like what makes mckellar the brand and you can you can just walk in and, and look in the fridge and straight away know any can that's by them and i was trying to think about what that boils down to in terms of a um uh you know a logo or or a character or whatever else and it's literally he's got about five items that if you whack any of those on a can you'll know it's McKellar straight away and that's incredible because normally a brand will aim for one of those and that's the logo 
you know, that you can get recognizable. But if you can walk, if you can make a can that has a, you know, an eye, right? An eye like a McKellar, and that's all you have on the can, you know it's him straight away. If you put the hat on there, it's not on this one. Oh, actually, it is yeah. up there in the corner. Put the hat on there, you know it's a McKellar. You put the, you know, the logo, you know it's McKellar. The general, like, flat color scheme, you know it's McKellar. And the general playfulness, you know, it's McKellar. That's just like, that's ridiculous levels of brand recognition. So, yeah, that was definitely one of those moments where uh, I was inspired and I want to be able to achieve that level of success in terms of, like, for a brand rather than myself. Like, to have that, that someone else can uh, acknowledge and walk in and see a fridge or, or whatever and then see your product and just know it straight away that it's... Um, this particular brand, then yeah, I would feel I'd feel pretty good. <laughs> well, you should feel good because I think that's very true of co-conspiracies. <clears throat> the work that you've done there, in terms of the characters that you've created, it doesn't matter which character comes out. When you walk into the bottle shop, you know that's co-conspiracies. <laughs> and so, in terms of brand recognition, um, and there's a, also a. a long game narrative there isn't it yeah in terms of the characters created the beers having a, a character themselves uh to kind of explain the the beer and create a vehicle yeah i also think it's almost a trojan horse the branding because i know you just had uh the apprentice yep now the can certainly doesn't look like you're going to pour out a stout and so someone may well go into a bottle shop and buy The Apprentice, which would you like to explain the is design? The, just thinking, is that the colour of the little creature's pale ale, that background? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say it's not close enough for any lawsuit or anything. Yeah, I think uh, you know, that's the, that was the intent, the innocent intent uh, with the creation of the co-conspirators. Uh, stuff and, and you know they were uh, only my second beer client uh, that I got and you know I met them through Froth and, and they had a pretty solid idea uh, of what they wanted in terms of the um, creation of these characters and it was just fortunate we had a good discussion about um, the things they liked um, art wise uh, and it was outside the beer realm they sort of pinpointed a few um, you know, particular artists that I liked or uh, you know, yeah, tones and, and whatnot. And um, fortunately, it was just in line with exactly what I wanted to do as well. <laughs> so myself and my business partner at the time, Marlon, um, went off and put together some concepts and, and came back to them with three ideas. Um, but one of these was uh, what I knew was going to be the winner straight away. Uh, and at that time, we'd had the booker, uh, the, sorry, the bookie and the butcher um, penciled in and made the artwork for those and um, showed those. And I, I don't know, kind of couldn't even be bothered showing the other two concepts because I knew that was like what they needed. Um, and funnily enough, since then, I've, despite being taught in design school to like show, you know, three concepts to, to people, um, I've stopped doing that completely. Um, and I'll just show one because I believe like that's the right, the right thing to do. And I don't know whether it's, arrogant or just confidence or like a full-on belief in what I'm doing is the right thing uh, but I'll just present one thing and say this is it this is the winner um, and you know 
hopefully the the client trusts me. So with this one, The Apprentice, yeah, have done a, a couple of female characters before, and I guess this is the uh, the inclusion thing when when the uh, the guys and the girls came to me originally with the matriarch idea. Um, they knew it was a a special one to be presenting visually. Um, the beer, obviously, they sort of thought they had a killer recipe for it. Um, but they really wanted to get the artwork right as well. And for every other can I've done, I'll just show one sketch. And that's the winner. And then, you know, it'll be um, just choosing colours from there. So you are the Frank Sinatra of the can design <laughs> world. One take. You know, Sinatra would go into well, the studio, <laughs> you know. sing the song and then say, see you later, mates. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I, I think I do a lot of like... Um, I just do so much sketching my mind and then I just have this one thing and I'm like, cool, that's it. And then I, I just draw it and my, my sketches are so ridiculously rudimentary in, in my sketchbook um, that then I put on the computer or whatever. But uh, yeah, the matriarch was was one I knew they wanted to get right and we had a whole heap of back and forth and I sort of spoke about the um, the defensiveness of, of me before with my, my artistry uh, and they came back at my first suggestion and said it wasn't right and I was like are you serious like what do you what do you mean it's not right <laughs> it's it's beautiful um and so we we came up with yeah quite a, a few uh iterations before we came up with the one we came up with and obviously it was the right choice um in the end because people love it you know that it's a female and that it's an older female as well up there and she's you know strong as um yeah there's room to to move with the story uh, storyline around this particular character as well i feel so i think you'll um you'll see some things which will thicken out the plot uh, in the next little while. It also helps that the beers are amazing as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, never a bad one. And But that said, there's a lot of um, poor beer being sold by good branding and yeah. vice versa as oh, well. Yeah. So <clears throat> Actually, quite a, um, you know, a little bit of a story on, on that note as well. Speaking to the guys from the um, Rival podcast, can I mention them? Oh, absolutely. Brunswick Beer Collective. Yeah, Brunswick Beer Collective. <laughs> Big shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it may be a copyright infringement <laughs> with the BBC, but uh, that's, yeah. not, that's not my fight to fight. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, speaking to um, uh, Chris and Paul, uh, sort of one of the f- first couple of times I met them, and they spoke about the co-conspirator stuff, and they said they um, they saw the butcher in store and thought it was too slick to be a, a craft beer and thought it was a mainstream one, and then like were almost not going to buy it because of that. Uh, and that was... I don't know, a bit of a backhanded compliment, I guess. Like, a compliment that, yeah, cool, I've done well. Like, it looks professional. Like, it's not a haphazard sort of thing. But also, I need to consider my target audience a bit more, perhaps, as well. But I think we've, we've bridged that gap. The craft beer people know know what Co-Conspirators is about. So, we're all good. Yeah, absolutely. So, the first three choices, Little Creatures, Pale Ale, Gage Roads, and then Mikola. Um Choice four. Excuse my pronunciation, but Tuwil. Tuwil? Tuwil. I don't know. Uh, my friend it, fe- it feels like you're trying to seduce me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my Swedish friend told me once how to say it, but I, I wasn't really listening at the time, so um, Tuwil it is. Um, again, this is like, um, you know, very vague, uh, but <coughs> the the Tuwil... You know, beers uh, for me are just next level, and I think they're, um, you know, they're on a uh, on the same sort of plane as McKellar in, in terms of 
brand recognition and brand strength and they've been doing their thing for uh, quite a long time and it's you know one of those things that you can walk in again and, and just know it's their beer straight away um, but the designer is of a completely different ilk to Keith Shaw so this guy's name is Casper Lede Ledet uh, and uh, yeah his stuff is more I guess like uh, uh, almost high end uh, design stuff um yeah, he's, he's really utilising a lot of um, uh, strict design principles in in you know, a lot of their can uh, can and bottle ranges, um, but also sort of taking the piss out of it at the same time. Um, but the particular uh, can slash series that I chose are the ones called the Sir series. Sir just means sour in Swedish. Would you know? S U R. Yes, yeah. S U R. Um, Big Sir. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember specifically seeing these ones. Um, so I used to work at a, a bar in town uh, called Sun Moth. I'm not too sure if you've been there, but craft beer and natural wine. And um, uh, we had some of these cans come into into store. And um, I'd sort of, you know, maybe seen some around before, but this is the first time that I saw it. And I was just like, oh, damn, this is this is next level. You know, you look at this can and uh, there's nothing there, right? It's There's no, uh, no logo, no beer name, nothing. Um, just these... Uh, at the time, you, you know, photos, paintings, not not really too sure, right? Um, they just look like art, essentially. And it's so weird to hold that in your hand when you're, uh, you know, compared to what you normally hold in your hand when you're looking at a beer. Well, it's one of those things that I just, I occasionally try to see things through the prism of my father. Okay. And he would look at that and say, well, it hasn't been finished. <laughs> you know, there's no words on it. How yeah. do you know if it's a pale ale or a stout? How do you know if it's a sour or whatever? There's no information on the can. Yeah. Um, dare I say that on The Apprentice, the co-conspirators, your design, mm. same thing. Oh my there's God, the what a coincidence. Without any words, <laughs> uh, without you know, any instruction about what might be inside the can. Yeah. This is idiocy, is it not? This is completely counterintuitive to what you Stupid. should do when you sell a product. Yeah. You need to tell a consumer what's inside. <laughs> you need to tell them, you know, what the percentage alcohol is. You need to tell them what style of beer it is, what to expect, etc. That's the way you stand Wait, out. Uh, sorry, do you work for ABAC? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean I need to say those things? Yeah, if anyone's listening from ABAC, <laughs> I, I am more than over. If you want to sponsor the podcast, <laughs> that's great. A good uh, use of taxpayers' money, I dare say. Well, very good, um, you know, recognition. Uh, this was a direct... You know, reference uh, to the to all uh, stuff. To be honest, when I first presented the um, the physical uh, mock up um, to the co-conspirators guys of the butcher uh, and the bookie can, uh, I was up at Hard Rubbish Bar in Northcote and um, bought these cans out to them. And I was like super excited because I hadn't really told them what I was going to do for it. They'd seen some um, preliminary sketches, um, but this is the first time bringing like a physical you know can to them. And uh, I showed them without the logo, and I, you know, I can't remember my exact pitch. I think I was in the zone uh, at the time, but I was just talking about, you know, a, a recognition of the brand beyond the logo, and these ideas of the um, the characters, you know, being the main uh, thing, which is the way I interpreted their brief when they gave it to me, um, and the sort of secondary notion. I'll talk about the two all in a second. But the secondary notion of the co-conspirator stuff, um, these characters were sort of, you know, subtly, uh, you know, underworld and suspicious and whatever else. And I thought the idea of... Uh, 
physically having to grab one from the shelf before you discover what it is would be quite cool. So you're sort of like almost, you know, grabbing someone by the neck when you're looking at it to turn it around and, and find out what sort of beer it is. Um, but that idea was definitely just ripped straight off of uh, to all, uh, with them not having their logo or anything on there. Um, but yeah, when I, when I first saw these, uh, uh, these Sir Serious cans, um, I was just in love instantly uh, with him and, and went back and just saw all, all the work that he'd done and everything just... Um, it's incredible, again, how he can do something with, you know, letters uh, as opposed to uh, what this is, you know, photographs, and you just, again, know it's him. And so he's just created this strength of brand that uh, that transcends a style, almost. It's just the idea that if, it, if you walk in and it looks like it's high-end art and it's in a big-ass can, you know it's too old, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, these photos are just like grainy, <coughs> uh, overexposed images of nothing, essentially, and it just makes you uh, interested in it. And so again, that idea of wanting to take it out of the fridge or off the shelf to find out more about it um, is what really appeals to me. I I have definitely fallen for this. Yeah. Like you talk about, you know, often the phrase is bandied around the, you know, we've got to get the beer in people's hands. Well, it works because yeah. curiosity is a massive driver of people picking up a beer and spinning it around to see what it is. You know, am I going to like this? Um, what's inside? Why yeah. is there no label on it? It's a curiosity. It's It seems so counterintuitive in one respect, but that's perhaps exactly what you... That's what good design is. It is counterintuitive. It's beyond the norm. Uh, if you try and go head-to-head against VB or... The big guys, whoever you know, where the labels very standardised in many yeah. respects. Well, you're not going to win. Like yeah. it, clearly, <laughs> the brand recognition for them it goes back, you know, decades. Yeah. And if you're a newcomer to the scene, how do you stand out? Well, perhaps it's a brave move. It the, the hard thing is, and you might think differently or or the same, is there's people who try to replicate this. Yeah. And that's difficult, isn't it? It's nice in theory. Yeah. What what barriers are there to replicating something like this? Um, <laughs> Talent. Great question. <laughs> Talent. Yeah. yeah. And you know, like I um uh, with my illustration stuff, uh, even when I was still in design school, I guess I was still um, trying to not really trying to like seek a my own style. Um, but just thinking about it, I guess. Uh, and I've always been a, an imitator um, of others. And so I'll look at artists and I'll get obsessed with them and then I'll try and draw like them. Um, not to be them, but to, like, to acknowledge that I'm dr- like, uh, drawing stuff from them into my own um, you know, repertoire, I guess. Um, and so I can draw you know, super simple stuff and then I'll, I'll see something really quite detailed. And I... Uh, recently uh, sort of had another um, email interview with someone where <clears throat> it got me thinking about my own um, approach to things and, and I said something to her which um, <laughs> I hadn't really reflected upon before um, but basically I said you know, I'll, I'll see um, a piece of art like an incredible thing that I can never ever do right I'm not I'm not as talented as, as the person who creates these artworks that I see but I want to achieve the same emotion that they're achieving in five minutes <laughs> and how can I do that right and that's my love of like 
cartooning and and, um, and you know the, the sort of illustration that I do. How can I evoke emotion out of a circle and two dots? And then like just seeing how people interpret that like just really excites me. There seems to be a really strong parallel between what you're saying and and, and music. Mm. You know, when you some some musicians, when you hear the first couple of bars on the radio, you know the artist, even if you've never heard that song before, because their recognition of their probably not brand is the wrong word, but their sound yeah. is so strong that it yeah. couldn't be anybody else. And you may try to replicate that, but it's very difficult. But you can create versions of it, or you know, if you're in that space, have different repertoires and different um, influences from those musicians and, and yeah. let that carry through. Replicating it is bloody hard, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think, so, you, know, uh, you know, futile as well. This person's already come up with the, the first and the best response to this particular thing. Any imitation of it is going to pale in comparison, right? And so why wouldn't you try and do something different and better? And so, you know, I, I draw inspiration um, from him, but no way am I ever going to try and replicate it. I'll take this and I'll take a McKellar can and I'll take something else completely unrelated to beer and I'll merge them all together and then come up with my original idea that I think will stand out against this. Um, yeah, which has sort of always been my approach, juxtaposition, bringing things in uh, which don't make sense, uh, I guess, to create an original product. Uh, and also that idea of just, I'm influenced by so many damn things. Uh, that all you know wash around in my head and somehow come out looking like the same pocket beagles shit every time you know <laughs> it's always an advantage in that poor memory you talked about oh, before yeah. because you just see everything and then forget about it <laughs> yeah. and then forget where you what came from but it's all what still there what are you talking about I've never seen that man in my life <laughs> <laughs> well let's move on to choice five uh, other end of the spectrum uh, number five is the Bolter XBA uh, again, it's sort of Bolter in general. Uh, this was the first beer they came out with. Um, I included this one because I think my uh, observation uh, of the beer industry here in Australia, uh, I was sort of in it by this point when it, when it sort of came out and um, I recognise it as a bit of a turning point. Um, so I wanted to, you know, to pop it into this uh, chat because of that. Um, Design-wise... Great, simple, and at the time it was, uh, it looked like nothing else on the shelf. It was considered, uh, you know, so a, a designer has made it, right? It's not, not an uncle or a cousin or whatever who's, who's popping this thing together. Um, and it's not trying to scream at you, it's just sort of kicking back and being like, hey, I'm Bolter, why don't you try me? which just fits in so beautifully with their brand and with the whole, you know, McFanning and Surfer and, and whatever else. Um, so often <clears throat> when I consider the physical designs, like I, I can't help but look into backstories of things as well. And, yeah, I just get obsessed with something that I like. So talking about music, I, if I fall in love with a band, I'm just obsessed with them for months on end and I find out everything about them. I listen to everybody, you know, album. <clears throat> Four months straight, you know. Uh, this for me, like looking at the at the greater story, uh, makes it even stronger. But on the shelf by itself, it's still incredible. Uh, and then I say a turning point, um, and and you're talking about people trying to uh, imitate the style, I guess. 
Um, <laughs> I mentioned Blackheart and Sparrows before. My studio was like across the road from it in Fitzroy a couple of years back. And um, I would walk in and just see what was going on, uh, you know, every couple of days basically with, with new releases and whatnot. And then seeing that and then seeing the other beers in the fridge who were trying to do the same thing like straight away. But they've just got no chance of competing with it. Bolter's already out. They've already made the splash. And people like it and associate that, you know, this like uh, one-third split of colour and this minimal approach. They associate with Bolter straight away. So if you come out with a can that looks like that, they're going to think of Bolter regardless. There's definitely different fractions being used of, of <coughs> yeah. how much colour. Uh, yeah. Wolf of the Willows XBA, Hawkers yeah. have had a go at the, go. the the bot, but I think part of it, I think, you know, imitation's the greatest form of flattery. They have, Bolter have come out with this simplicity, partly due to the fact that when they went out to look at craft beer, there was too many words, too busy. It's like, well, how do you stand out is simplicity, that yeah. rectangle, the smile, yeah. and then the colour block is is so clever in the respect that because it's all cans, Bolter have never bottled. Yeah. It's all cans, and when you put those cans in the fridge next to each other, then you have white out of the shelf. Yeah. So that becomes very attractive. Um, and brands, like we've just mentioned, do try to achieve that white out as well, um, which is kind of, kind of smart in one respect but as you say once you know once the cat's out of the bag you know the, the first horse wins um, yep. it, it, you, it's very difficult to replicate so but I ag- absolutely agree that this bolter in terms of a, it almost feels now looking back as a turning point of almost the Australian beer industry design coming of age this seemed like a beer that could go international that could have recognition yeah, anywhere. And when I interviewed uh, Scott, head brewer from Bolter, when I visited the brewery last mm. year, he was showing me on his phone. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this isn't Ed Sinister. Uh, he was showing me that he gets texts almost daily or weekly of other brands who are copying, like coffee brands who have... Yeah, like, right. Like, and they are so bad coffee <laughs> like they are they are basically they've just rubbed out their name Balser and put yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know coffee <laughs> yeah. like so and clearly that that's that's great for that. even little creatures when they brought out their XPA the colour was not dissimilar to that kind of toothpaste yeah. green yeah. that you see so all of those things that we talked about earlier in the podcast as well about how do you stand out about um, fridge space, about you know cans and bottles. Uh, this kind of epitomizes them all, and the way that Balter have grown that, nothing seems to deviate too far away from the yeah. first core design. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think um, you know, similar to the the McKellar stuff, how you've got um, certain things on there like the hat or the eye or, or whatever, which signal the brand. Uh, you know the smile definitely if you whack that on a blank page you're going to know it's you know Bolter straight away the square and then that split of colours and um, also the movement to big cans is uh, extremely wise as I, I see you know the American market is is doing that for all their special releases 
Um, and I think we'll see more and more people doing it here as well. So those those big cans, which are just like nice, and and it's like uh, ventures right into how uh, craft beer people are buying their beer as well. You buy it by the one pack as opposed to the four pack or the six pack or whatever. So you may as well buy a big beer that you're going to pay more for. Um, but yeah, the the handsome Elvis and then the the hazy or whatever, they feel they feel like Bolter. Yeah, double IPA as well. Yeah, simple colours. They got the, the large amounts of white space on there, and yeah, that's great. And Huge all, admiration. Yeah, and all the words are in the back in yeah. a very similar format. In that, all contained in that rectangle as well. Um, yes. Adheres to a back regulations of having to have the uh, millage on the front of the can. Yeah, in uh, appropriate size fonts and all the rest. So <laughs> it's so specific. Like you literally, it has to be uh, you know a certain amount of millimeters high compared to the amount of millage of the can as well. So all these things I got to um, you know look at back and forth as well before I submit stuff through to people. And I'm sweating bullets like in the in the week leading up to a uh, print date of a you know a can run or whatever. And the the, the interesting thing is is that you can. Um, get pre-approval from Maybach but doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to get attract the complaint once it's out <coughs> in the marketplace yeah. so that you know it's not bulletproof yeah and so yeah you, there's big responsibility for uh, for you Clint <laughs> uh, let's move on to choice six the final choice alrighty number six uh, Kaiju Crush um, I was considered uh considering to put this forward as, a, again, a general brand submission because um, the Crush definitely wasn't the first one that I saw um, from them and I was in love with the branding before that. Um, but I think when the Crush came out, it was another um, pivotal moment probably for me um, in terms of beer design uh, in sort of a similar way to the um, uh, Little Creatures coming out at the time that it did with the you know the pale colours compared to the uh, primary colours. Uh, this one coming out with this sky blue, um, as opposed to everyone else doing their, I don't know, the bright in your face stuff or trying to do the restrained stuff. This is just like straight up playful, uh, which is great. And so it, you know it, it screams um, exactly what it's trying to do—a tropical pale ale. Like you look at that and you can't read it. You even squint and you see the colours and you, you just straight away get what they're trying to do uh, with the flavours and the beer. It's just holiday, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolute holiday. Like, you look at that can and there's the beach, there's a pineapple, there's the sky, which is kind of the sea, and then <coughs> uh, presumably you open up the tinny and you smell holiday as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, a lot of that uh, evocations from when you look at the can and then what you get, you know, if you've got a, a, a deep and dark sensual sort of d uh, display on your stout and you drink it, you're like, mm, yeah, that is... That is very sensual and, and deep and dark. Uh, but this is light and fun and, and playful, so that's what you're going to get from it as well. And, yeah, saw it, loved it. Um, artist Mikey Burton, his stuff is great, and I love the entire Kaiju range. And um, they were definitely one, that, you know, when I was in high school that I uh, – sorry, not high school, uh, design school, you know, that I was looking at and thinking, damn, if I can have that uh, sort of impact and that brand strength, uh, then I would love it as well. Um, and this should have been difficult for Kaiju – like they're famed for you know not wanting to brew anything under six percent. Yeah. Like it, it's it's kind of this beer is kind of almost against the 
ethos at what 4.7 percent easy drinking tropical pale ale this is something that could have went badly wrong for them in terms of marketing and things because it yeah. it seemed it could be it could have been so off brand but because of the strength of the design it's all of a sudden become a flagship i think it's responsible for something like 80% of their output yeah and very uh, smart you know obviously the beer nerds and stuff that like all the ipas and 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 the high strength beers and the dark stuff and whatever that they do um you know, are going to have this occasionally when it's presented, but it was never targeted towards them. It's definitely targeted towards craft consumers, but more entry, you know, uh, entry level stuff than hardcore guys. But still, a delicious beer, and you know, I'm, if I see that in the in the bottle shop or whatever, I'll happily buy it, buy the six pack. Um, so yeah, they've done very well. And uh, as an aside, uh, <laughs> funny story. I continually get mistaken for the guy who designed it as well. Um, Does that upset him more than you? Well, uh, he's in America and I've never <laughs> met him, so I don't know. But he seems like a nice guy. Did he move to America because of you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I don't think so. But um, yeah, just weird how people think. Um, you know, I've done I've done one little project for Kaiju before, um, which is like a banner. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess because it's in the realm of a cartoon thing that's on the on the beer can or whatever, people just assume it's me. But I get assumed for a lot of things, which is great because people think I do a lot more than I actually do. <laughs> that's a dream, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> and so people, you know, say, "Oh yeah, yeah, you did the Kaiju Crush. Let's uh, let's have a talk about what you can do for me." And I'm just like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So people say to me, "Oh, you do the Brunswick Beer Collective." Uh. <laughs> Damn, that's it. <laughs> that is a great choice for a for a beer, and like completely in a pocket of that, you know, the festival goer. Like, if you if you want a fun time at the festival, yeah, do you want to be looking at a can of Great Northern, or do you want to look at that? <laughs> and that it's kaiju all the way, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so. Normally, I ask the guests, Clint, to uh, say the, the best receptacle to drink beers out of and a beer snack. Now, you can do this if you want, <clears throat> or you can just give some honorable mentions to some beer design. Or actually, I'd like you to maybe give... There's some bad designs out there. Maybe if you can say, what do you think? If you're giving advice to people, I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this or brewers maybe rethinking their brand or, or thinking about maybe starting a brand. But they look at someone like Bolter, they think, well, we haven't got their resource or their know-how. How do we, you know, and there's a lot of pressure on that very first design, isn't it? Because if, if that can, like little creatures, like Bolter, that can be a legacy for good or for ill. Mm. Um, so what what advice would you give to to people who are starting off on that journey in terms of you know who should they engage with obviously you but uh, and other <laughs> other professionals but also what do they need to come to somebody like you with and what did it what do they need to have in their mind before they embark because presumably they've really concentrated really hard on the quality of the beer yeah which is one thing but you've got to sell it so yeah. where do you start um, excellent question. 
uh, multifaceted. I like it. Long, I think the <laughs> word is. <it? laughs> um, man, I think uh, people just need to appreciate that it's uh, the first barrier to people buying their beer uh, and that you, if you don't spend money on it, it's not going to give a return. And so I... <clears throat> I still consider myself very cheap and I'm like, you know, uh, compared to what I know uh, design studios, not even big design studios, what I know they charge for a logo, I'm not even charging that at all for, you know, multiple can designs. And so just like, and there's the other people in the space who, who are doing the same thing as me. Well, I'm not just, not just saying I'm cheap and, and hire me and whatever. Like there's people out there who are willing to do a great job because they love beer uh, for you and they you know potentially uh, will like your brand if, if they uh, you know uh, are in line with the way that you think as well um, so just put the effort into finding someone I think what you're talking about is value isn't it yeah. rather, rather than cheapness <coughs> it's value yeah. isn't it it's what you get out of what you put in and if you find somebody perhaps who knows about the beer scene who's passionate about the beer scene who is on with current trends in the beer scene that's holds a lot of weight yeah. as opposed to just going into a f- another design place that does wash yeah. and powder yes and that's yeah perhaps the um the value of uh dealing with you know smaller businesses right so if you're a, a small brewery that's just opened up or doing gypsy brewing or whatever and you can deal with one person uh like myself or uh jesse jungawala who does the stuff uh you know design stuff as well like one person face to face, they're going to give you everything they possibly can to uh, make sure you succeed because it means they will succeed, i.e., me, uh, as well, right? So, uh, you know, I started working with co conspirators, uh, Brumanity, and Froth uh, within the first couple of months of graduating. And all these businesses have been going for, you know, three years now. And I get continued work out of it. I'll give anything to these people. They're continuing to grow. It's all good. Just like, just find someone. Like, don't give it to the family member or the cousin or whatever else. Like, give it some value, um, and, and you'll uh, you'll get a return from it as well. But I think, uh, you know, if you've found a person or if you're trying to look for a person, um, the thing to consider is uh, what you're trying to do as well. Uh, so it's like any sort of business. You need to have a purpose or a, a point of difference, um, and it's very hard for that to be uh, for that to be like a higher quality product from the outset if no one knows who you are. So you need to think of something else, and the easiest way to do that is design uh, to get someone to notice you first, and then they're surprised by the quality of the beer. Also, um, yeah, it's really the gateway to everything. I feel so receptacle and snack <laughs> <laughs> man I uh, I'm I'm the least fussy person you could possibly imagine with uh, with beer um, so receptacle whatever I'll drink out of a can uh, yeah a can a uh, yeah. fucking tumbler a wine glass whatever's going um, uh, and snack wise great question pizza shapes it's a shapes. Yeah. Nice. Just with anything. I think this is a bit of a froth magazine 
Emily Day spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened to the episode <laughs> was Burger Rings. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burger Rings are great as well. The pizza shapes <laughs> way better. What are you doing, Emily? <laughs> So I feel like there should be some nutritional information with uh, Froth Magazine. Uh, but Clint, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, where can people find you online and if they want to engage with your services, etc.? Uh, Pocket Beagles is my name, at Pocket Beagles on Instagram, pocketbeagles.co for the internet. Um, or, you know, my details are found in Froth Magazine as well. I'll put it all in the show notes so yeah. people can easily click through. And oh, uh, actually, um, yeah, send me frog pictures as well. Are you all about this? No, to please tell uh, me. In the front of the froth mag, I've had this um, little uh, little note about sending me frog pictures for the past two years, maybe. So I um, <clears throat> I put my number in there when I was like creating this little you know small ad in the contents page. Uh, and uh, yeah, put in my, my Instagram address and then website and whatever, and I was like, you know what? No one does mobile numbers anymore. I'm going to be old school, and I'll put a mobile number and just see what happens. And then uh, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I get a, a picture message of a frog, uh, and I responded with just the first other picture that was in my phone, which was like this um, sort of mannequin with a fryer tuck uh, haircut, and then this person responded with another frog. And I was like, okay, all right, that's what we're doing. So I responded with a frog as well. And then um, we had a few frogs back and forth. And no words were exchanged, just frogs. And so then in the next issue, I, I, I added in, um, in my little spiel there. I was like, uh, you know, if you want to um, call me for work, here's my number. Or if you just want to send me frog pictures, that's okay as well. Um, and so it turned out it was... Uh, Simon, uh, who was working at Slow Beer and now Bar Josephine, who sent me the original frog picture. Um, but I get frog pictures probably once or twice a week when froth is released, three or four times a week, just from drunk people who see it and then decide to send me a frog, um, which is fun. Well, forget about the business. Just yeah. send Clint some frog pictures <laughs> and uh, hop to it. So, <laughs> classic dad. <laughs> Thanks so much, Clint, uh, for Thank being you. on The Chosen Brew and uniquely talking us through the six designs that changed everything. It's been fascinating and I certainly have learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners have as well. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. So that was it. Clint Weaver. Now, before we do any debrief, here's a little bit more. I won't explain. So this is an unusual segue because we're stood in a in an alleyway near some bins in South Melbourne, outside West Side L Works and their brand new brewery. Uh, now it's only relevant because Clint, who you've just listened to on the podcast, forgot to mention a really important bit of information, and so I've chased him down tonight, a day after we recorded found them at Westside Works in South Melbourne and Clint I'm glad you're here uh, to fill us in on the really essential bit of information that you forgot. <laughs> Thank you uh, so I was just near the bins anyway <laughs> the, 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 uh, you know, the brewery here is a coincidence 
but yeah, I, I wanted to mention it last night, but I felt there wasn't a natural, you know, uh, time to, to squeeze it in. Whereas this is really natural. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Completely natural. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty big news. Um, I am opening a bottle shop, craft beer focused bottle shop, uh, with a couple of friends out in Mooney Ponds. Um, and it's all, I don't know, uh, somewhat inevitable, <laughs> it, uh, looking at the course of what I've done in the past couple of years, I knew this would happen. Um, but then it just has popped out of nowhere. Uh, but yeah, opening a bottle shop, it's called Fizz and Hop, uh, and it's in Mooney Ponds and well, I think by the time this is out, maybe we'll be open already, uh, which is pretty exciting. So if you're in the area, come along and buy some craft beer from us. And tell us, this place is an old place, isn't it? It used to be a supermarket kind of bottle shop. It's right near the station, isn't it, as well, the train station. It's so convenient. Tell us a little bit about that background. Yeah, crazy building. These other guys who I'm setting it up with uh, who, who have a, a current um, bar called the Ascot Lot in Ascot Vale. Found this location and I went along and saw it a couple of weeks ago. And it's insane. It was like a, a butcher's and a, a delicatessen and an old school bottle shop. But the building itself seems like it hasn't been touched since the 60s. And some of the signage is still around like from that era as well, which is incredible. Um, so the building is massive and, and, and full of personality and, and yeah, just really uh, convenient being so close to the train station as well. Uh, I think it's going to be quite exciting to put something contemporary in that location. And will there be an embargo on uh, labels that aren't well designed? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I guess my main contribution uh, to the whole uh, collection has been focused around the branding side of things, but also purchasing of the beer, um, which has been uh, quite exciting. Um, and I, yeah, I want the shop to look good, and I want the stock to look good on the shelf as well. Uh, and you know, I am a firm believer in, in the products that look good on the shelf are going to sell quicker. Uh, obviously, if it's a quality product, it's going to be better as well. Um, so, yeah, I want to make the shop as beautiful as I can, and that extends to the range that we're stocking as well. And people can follow you online. You've got a Facebook page already up. And um, what's the what's the date that you're planning on opening? This weekend, but in retrospect to this podcast, I don't know, last weekend, two weeks ago, I don't know. Uh, we'll be open by the time you hear this, I guess. Um, but, yeah, as I said, fizz and hop. Um, it's all very... Uh, haphazard and we're sort of uh, just slapping everything together um, but both the Facebook and the Instagram are at Fizz and Hop uh, if you Google it we'll come up we'll put all of that in the show notes as well so links direct if you want to uh, click on to find out what's happening uh, with Fizz and Hop it sounds really exciting Clint so I'm glad I caught you by pure chance and uh yeah by the bins and it is the uh it's also coincidentally the froth beer magazine launch for the june edition as well so very exciting you've had a big input in that as well so uh thanks so much clint and um it was a good episode wasn't it thank you again <laughs> so clint had managed to spend the best part of the podcast talking so passionately about design and can art and a back that he completely forgot that he was opening a bottle shop in Ascot Vale. So it actually opened at the time of this episode coming out. It had a soft launch last weekend and will be growing and growing as time goes on as well. So make sure you get down to 
Fizz and Hop. I've put all the links to find Clint and also Fizz and Pop in the show notes. So get onto that. Here's Casey from Westside Aleworks, who I managed to get a few words with at the Froth Magazine launch for the June edition, which may or may not have uh, this podcast in. You'll have to go and find a copy and see who is Podcast of the Month for the first time. Here's Casey Wagner talking about the new brewery Westside Aleworks have moved into just across the street from the original premises. If you haven't listened to Casey's episode, I interviewed him. He'd been open a matter of weeks when I interviewed him. And it's amazing how far he's come in just two and a half years. I'm here at Westside L Works, but not the original version. Just across the street in a brand new 30-tap venue, which is much larger and has much more scope for development with Casey, who was one of the earliest uh, guests on the Chosen Brew podcast. And that episode was a real hit with um, many people because Casey... You were one of the people who made that leap, the brave leap from homebrewing into commercial. And you've outgrown yourself and now are in a brand new venue. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, no, it's been a, a crazy ride. Um, we're a little bit over two and a half years into it. And uh, I definitely didn't think I'd be moving into a larger venue this soon. Um, but uh, kind of the idea popped up. We were outgrowing our space. Um, I wanted to get into canning my beer and... Uh, I just didn't have the space for it, so we started kind of looking around and didn't find much that we liked, but locally uh, a warehouse popped up that we liked, so um, I got in on it, and I just kind of wanted to recreate what I was doing over at the old space, but just a little bit larger, um, and then one thing that we learned was uh, test batches, as, as people like to try them, um, so I started serving test batches over there. Uh, two taps kind of dedicated towards it, and then uh, what people liked, we'd scale up and, and do a larger batch, but it kind of involves people in, in trying different things, and uh, on this new venue, I wanted to do even more of that, so we, we scaled up um, to 20 taps of our own, so we can do a lot of um, uh, experiments and, and things for people to try and see what they're into and what they're not into, um, but it kind of involves the community a little bit more and uh, gets people a little enticed to come out because we always have something new released uh, pretty much weekly Um, and then we also added on 10 guest taps so we've got some kind of rare more hard to find beers from all over the world Um, different things that you don't see at uh, every other place and yeah it's it's just kind of a you know the same laid back uh, vibe but just a little bit larger Uh, a lot more beer to choose from and um uh, we also added on American style pizzas too, not too long ago. So we got a food option to go with the go with the beer. But uh, and everything's been great so far, and uh, I'm really happy with the feedback. And it's a lot easier for me to to brew in the new space. I remember interviewing you the first time. You'd not long opened. It was a matter of months, I think, that you'd opened. And I definitely got the sense that you you were still in that. You know, like any small business, there's a nervousness, a, a kind of. Is this going to work out? Are we going to find by the seat of our pants? And as you say, you've in within two and a half years, you've outgrown yourself. Testament to, uh, I think, you know, you read the reviews on Facebook and Google and things. People love this place. And the fact that you've moved and grown, um, where do you kind of see, you know, the next two and a half years? And um, are you going to move? You're going to take over the whole block? 
Uh, no, I think uh, my my next two years, my, my plan is to hopefully get a little bit larger equipment in the same space. So uh, kind of go from about the 500 liter to 700 liter batch size up to maybe around the 1500 to 2500 liter size. Um, but I, I don't want to leave this space. I think if we if we completely outgrew it, I'd probably look to do the same thing in another city um, and just kind of expand that way. Uh, but definitely not, you know, still remain small and not get into national distribution because that's not the, the business model that we have. And um, we're all about involving the, you know, the local community and, and getting people to try some fresh uh, craft beer right in their backyard. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to stick with. And if we get lucky enough to expand, we'll probably just do the same thing in another city. Well, well done. I think it's a really brave move that we discussed on the podcast initially, the uh, brave move from home brewing to commercial. And it's really heartwarming to see that it's paid off for yourself. And um, it's really exciting to be in a venue and the quality of the beer as well. I've only had a couple of beers tonight, but really enjoyed both of them and will definitely be back. So thanks so much, Casey. Uh, where, where can people, uh, when are you open and when can people come down? Um, so with the new venue, we got some new hours. We're kind of still trading the same hours, which are, uh, for now anyway, uh, Thursday to, to Sunday, 12 to 8. Um, but we might start staying open later on, like, Fridays and Saturdays. Um, our liquor license now includes uh, Wednesday to Sunday, 12 to 11. So we have some opportunity for more functions, after-hours things, uh, which hopefully we'll get into pretty soon. And then we also have a... A small function space upstairs that we're going to do some private tasting small functions in. Um, so yeah, right now kind of 12 to 8, but we might expand that and then uh, have some availability for functions too. Well, thanks so much, Casey. It was a pleasure to interview you first time round and even better in a bigger circumstance uh, now. So uh, cheers. Such exciting times, eh, for the beer industry. Like for a home brewer to have kind of a overblown 400 litre homebrew setup to start serving to the public down a side street in South Melbourne and to be able to grow to the point where he's got 30 taps 10 of which are really exciting international and local beers and then the rest are made by Casey on site and the, he's doing quite a few test batches as well and, and it's really nice to have something local that has is about community that has something not only your old trusted favorite beers but also something to try every time you go in so well done to Casey there and I certainly want to watch for how that develops in the next two and a half years as well talking of excitement here is a little clip of Phil from Burnley Brewing introducing Michael and Michael who are responsible for the mountain gin and burnley brewing collaboration which ended up being a botanical sour berlin of ice which is delicious it only sits at around three and a half percent and i kind of think if this came out in the summer there'd be none left already hey guys thanks very much for coming down to burnley brewing this evening our uh, botanical sour can launch party. I have up here with me uh, the two Michaels behind the drink. We've got Michael Harris from Mountain Gin, Michael Stanzel from Burnley Brewing. I'm just going to throw over those guys real quickly just to give you a little bit of background about how it was created, just the story behind it. Michael. 
tell us about the botanicals in this uh, lovely drink. Um, yeah, so I guess the, the mountain gin represents like a real sense of place. So we're out in Mount Macedon, um, Central Beach, and the main, like the predominant botanicals out there are probably pine needles and mountain pepperberry that we forage from the top of the mountain. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest characters that comes through here, I'd say. Yep. Awesome, thanks. Excellent. So, so, so we've got mountain gin, which is uh, this bad boy here. If you're drinking it at home, how would you have it? One of the sort of sub-flavours is probably that orange peel, like the big citrus character. So um, how we usually have it is on ice, just with a big chunk of orange peel and then um, some compliments. Bloody fantastic. Um, <laughs> now, how the hell did we get all that into a beer, Michael Stanzel? Uh, so we actually spend the day just hanging out here, drinking beers and gin, and uh, we're making that it's a tough day in the office. Uh, and we'll, uh, so Michael brought, uh, so we brought a lot of um, just botanicals that uh, Michael has and has experimented with for his gins and stuff like that, and we were making like, what would you call them, botanical teas? Making teas, and we'll be tasting those teas, and then we started mixing them with beers. And during that session, we realised that the best mix of these botanicals with the beer would be with a sour beer. So we came up with the Berlinerweiser, which is a light sour beer, and um, which is just refreshing as. Uh, so it's really refreshing, and um, <laughs> and. Um, so yeah, and that's pretty much where the beer came from. Well, just making teas from the botanicals and then realising that it would just really go well with a nice sour beer. Beautiful. And that was the uh, that was one of the batches that you were you were brewing down here, standing near the uh, near the pump, shaking your head because you filled it with pine needles. <laughs> the whole thing was full. Anyway, um, so this is this is the camera release. We actually have uh, Miriam who's done the design for it right here. Thank you very much, Miriam. Some of your best work, I reckon. Um, absolutely fantastic. Keep an eye out for it in the shops. Um, once again, it's a limited release, so it, it, it's it's going to run out. Um, so get on board, um, share on socials. That'd be really appreciated. And then uh, keep an eye out for the uh, for the next one. Thanks very much, Jens, for making a, a really really great beer. And thanks for the delicious gin as well. I'm going to be. And also to my other half in the business, George Promasco, um, which I don't think he's here, but the sunset's here, he's a legend. <laughs> awesome, Michael, quick shout out. To Harry and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for coming down, guys. Uh, <laughs> we won't keep you any longer, but have a great night. Um, so keep an eye out um, on the socials for the next event and the next can we're going to be releasing. Um, otherwise, enjoy. Cheers. Ah, so many treats in this episode. My goodness. Um, Another exciting development is that I've changed provider for my podcast. Uh, I hope that all of you subscribers have transferred over. If you haven't been transferred over, you won't be able to hear this. So if you, if you 
for some reason, if you know someone who listens to the podcast and they're like, oh, didn't download this week, make sure that they resubscribe. Uh, it should have all gone through, but there will be one or two people who miss the boat. And it's very nice, the new one. I've posted out on the Chosen Brew Facebook page the link where you can get all of the episodes on one page and you can just click and play them and stream them directly. If you visit thechosenbrewau.com, you can also stream them directly from that page as well. And the podcast is on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on Google Podcasts, it's everywhere that you could want on Stitcher. So make sure that if you've got friends home or abroad, get them onto it. It's so exciting what's happening in Australia in terms of craft beer and I think this format is just such a lovely way of people to tell us stories and show how much passion they have for the simple act of drinking a beer. Clint, thank you so much for your time as well, recording it. So much information. Thank you for being so patient as well, sitting outside in a very cold winter's day in Melbourne. As always, I'd love you to write a review, share the podcast, Follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those things. Wherever you listen to your podcast, if you leave a review, it really helps. And a sharing and word of mouth is superb as well. As you may already know, I do another podcast called The Wheel of Sport. And that's really fun as well. Just delving into some really interesting human stories and sporting history. If you're really into sport, it's fascinating and You'll find revelations in every episode that you just didn't know about. And if you're not into sport, amazing human stories there as well. So the link to that is in the show notes as well. I'd love you to give that a listen and hear your feedback from that one as well. Phew, as always, that was a bumper episode, man. Putting all that together, I really hope you appreciate it and enjoyed it. It was so much fun to make. So thank you so much for listening and we'll speak soon. Bye.